Blue Wire. The Detroit Pistons select Sekou Dubuya. The boy gets run off the line. Down the lane, my goodness. Look at that. Pistons come right back at him with a bruise. Oh, oh, oh. Jam. Dishes to Luke for the long gun. It goes. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Pistons vs. Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and we're going to open the podcast with a shout out to Blue Wire Charlie. Blue Wire Charlie put together that sexy new turn the page intro. I love it. Thank you so much. Today we are brought to you by Untuck It, who compelled me to reveal that I have gained weight in their ad read. But you have to wait for that. You are not here to hear You are not here to hear about my personal problems. You are here because we, you, me, we, have a collective problem. The Pistons are bad. There's a three-game losing streak prior to tonight's game against the Boston Celtics. And so I figure what better way to get all the frustration out than to get a mailbag going. Let's get some actual audience participation up in here. We got a great number of questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. So let's dive right in. First question comes from Detroit Bad Boys' own Ryan Provato. How high is Christian Wood's ceiling, no matter if it's here in Detroit or elsewhere, and will the the court mental errors be his undoing? Thank you for the question, Ryan. Uh, To me, Christian Wood is no higher than a high-level backup big man on a good, not great, regular season team. I'm not sure he'll ever be good enough defensively to be more than that and the on-court mental errors show up more on the defensive end and they are a big part of that Uh, he's also like physically skinny enough that you worry about how he's hold up full-time as a center so you have to have like a platoon big man rotation to go with him and if he's your starting center you do worry about how he would hold up Um, you think he'd hold up pretty well in the regular season but you wonder how he would hold up against your like Joel Embiid's, your Nikola Jokic's, your uh, DeMontis Sabonis's of the world. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's Christian Wood is still pretty valuable, especially since last year, 18 months ago, you know, 24 months ago, he was barely in the NBA, holding on to the NBA by, uh, by a fingertip. And so, like, don't take that as Christian Wood hate. Take that as, um, like, Christian Wood is good, not great. A, a good role player. Next question is from Scott FL, Scott in Florida. Uh, why does Sam Vecini think Aaron Henry will return to school next year? Why would anyone return to school if they're a probable first-round pick? Even if you suck, the guaranteed first two years is life-changing money. Are you ever going to have Sam Vecini on the podcast? And if you do, are you planning to ask him why he thought Dragon Bender was good? That is a lot of questions. Thanks, Scott. I knew I could count. I knew I could count on you for some questions. Thanks, man. So, first question, why does Sam Bassini think Aaron Henry's going back to school? I don't know. I haven't been watching as much MSU as I should be watching. I did watch all of the win over Michigan, and I watched the first half of the Purdue lost. And in those games, like, Aaron Henry looked okay. What I, what I can think of is that his stats are not particularly impressive. Per 40, he's averaging, like, only 14 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 4.5 and assists. He's only shooting 45% uh, from the floor, 35% from three, and 73% from the line. He's only 
got 19 stocks in 16 games. Like he doesn't do anything amazingly. If he were shooting like 40% from three or averaging like a steal and a half per game, or to be frank, if he was an inch and a half taller, I think there'd be no question that he'd be a first round pick, especially in a draft that's as weak as this one. And you know, for what it's worth, other people not named Sam Bassini still have Henry like in the 30s. The uh, ESPN slash Draft Express guys had him, I think, at uh, 34, 33. Trevor McNaughty, who I had on the podcast a couple weeks back to talk about the draft, had him at 14 on his big board. So it's not like Aaron Henry has you know, disappeared from uh, the NBA thought process. It's just one guy didn't have him on his board. Now, why would Aaron Henry go back to school? It varies from kid to kid. Like even just thinking about Michigan State kids, right? Like Miles Bridges stayed a year when <laughs> he really didn't need to, and I don't know if that helped him that much at all. Uh, what if? But on the other hand, like what do you like Devonta David? Like what if he had stayed? Right? Like he very clearly was not ready for the NBA, but like got drafted in the first round anyway. But like if he had stayed another year, maybe his NBA career would have been better. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, if you feel like you need to stay in school and work on your game, if you feel like you're not necessarily guaranteed to be a first-round pick, I understand why you would stay. You can always take out like insurance on your knees or whatever, and then uh, yeah, you can always you can always secure yourself against that uh, the possibility of an injury. Now, am I going to get Sam Vecini on the podcast? I hope so. I, I reached out to him to do the draft podcast for the Detroit Bad Boys podcast last year. He, he never got back to me, but I don't think he was, like, big-boying me or anything. I just think he was really busy during draft season because he's an in-demand guy, and he just never got back to me. And as it turned out, I got Cole's Wicker, so that worked out pretty well. I was pretty happy with how that turned out. I will definitely try again this draft season, and if I do have him on, I am not going to ask him about Dragon Bender. You know, I still wake up in a cold sweat thinking about my uh, Justin Jackson and, and KZ Akpala <laughs> draft takes. It's like, we all have swings and misses, right? Like, I'm not going to take a victory lap every single time I get one right. And I wouldn't expect to take, like, a victory bat to Sam of uh, being right about Dragon Bender. Thanks for the question, though, Scott. From Twitter, we got a question from Mark Faust, at Mark Faust. What contract would you feel good about for Christian Wood this offseason? That's a good question. Thank you, Mark. Um, this forced me to do a little bit of research uh, for the podcast. So last season, in a really flooded free agency market, yeah, JaVale McGee got two years and $8.2 million. Kim Birch got two years and $6 million. Nerlens Noel came back on one year and $2 million. Kevon Looney got three years and $14 million. Like, good job on his, him and his agent. Uh, Ed Davis and Rashawn Holmes got identical two-year $9.7 million contracts. And Mike Scott got a two-year $9.8 million deal. So it looks like the going bench rate or the going rate for a solid bench productive player, which again is like what we think Christian Wood is, or what I think Christian Wood is at least, is somewhere in the neighborhood of two years and like $9 million. Um, Christian Wood is not as proven as some of those other guys. And so I think you could, get, and he's not as good defensively as like Ed Davis or Rashawn Holmes. And so I think you could get him on a deal like two years, seven million, or three years, like eleven point five million. Um, 
the the way he's going to want it is the fewer years he gets the uh he, if he he's going to want fewer years so he can get back into free agency um so you can uh, get him back onto the market when it, like during his prime so i would offer him someplace in like the 3 11.5 millionish type deal get him he's back out there when he's like 27 he's 24 right now so like yeah i think that that sounds about right um but that also speaks to like what an overpay of christian wood could look like and it doesn't actually sound that bad right if you wanted to offer christian wood like a four-year 20 million dollar deal uh like that that's not that expensive right like you sign langston galloway for much less that and uh, you sign langston galloway for roughly the same amount of money but you got him for one fewer year um a four-year deal would keep christian wood like until he's 28 so you basically have him for uh forever i think you would be able to trade him if he was making in the neighborhood of like five million dollars a year uh you know further down the line so like you could do that as an option but baseline i think it's reasonable to expect like two years and like seven million dollars for christian wood Okay, from Merwin Lee on Detroit Bad Boys. Are bonus fee NBA-level players? What's Sekou's floor as a player? How worried are you about Kennard's knees? What level do you think Bruce tops out as? Uh, thank you for the questions, Merwin. Uh, let's, let's, let's tackle these one by one. Uh, Svee is an NBA player. Svee's been way better on defense than I expected going into the year, and it looks like he's going to hit 38% from three until he's like 35 those two combinations of things will keep him in the league until one of them falls out right like either he becomes like a 34 percent three-point shooter or he defends worse but until that happens like he's going to be an nba player there will always be a need for three and d wings and uh and Svi has proven himself to be uh, a baseline level of that as far as jordan bone we kind of don't know. He's probably an NBA player. He's definitely too good for the G League, but we do need to see what he does against NBA players, like eventually, sooner rather than later. And it can't just be him running wind sprints up and down the court while Derrick Rose dribbles. Um, like, we, we got to see what Jordan Bone has sooner or later. Uh, what is Sekou's floor? Seku's floor is interesting. He'll always be 6'9", so presumably he'll always be like a good size for an NBA wing. You assume he will always have the baseline level of skill he has right now. Um, you presume that, like, obviously you assume he'll get better, but, like, even if he never gets any better skill-wise, um, you still kind of project him out as a slightly below-average wing in today's NBA, think about the uh, think about like the statistical impact that Trevor Ariza is having right now, and like that's that's Seku's floor. Just like a guy who is big gets up and down the floor can make threes. Pretty like not 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 valuable. Again, you always just need six nine guys, no matter where you are. But uh, but that's his like absolute floor. Uh, am I worried about Luke's knees? Not really. Um, Luke, if Luke was like this insane athlete, if Luke was, if Luke really needed uh, his knees and like his lift to uh, to function as an NBA player, I might be more worried. But um, 
if Luke's knees are shot and it turns out he's like just an elite catch and shoot three point shooter, like that's still a useful role in today's NBA. He's probably not, that's a little bit disappointing. He's not as valuable as obviously he could be, but uh, like that's still a useful player. Um, Bruce, what is Bruce's ceiling? Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. I don't think Bruce will ever be an all star, but he can definitely be a quality starter uh, at either guard position in the NBA. Um, the big things for him are going to be improving finishing around the basket. He's already proven he can get to the basket, so it's going to be uh, improving his touch around the rim. Um, and as a standstill, like catch and shoot three point guy. You saw him make uh, a wing three-pointer earlier this week. Like, that was really big. We've, we've noted the improvement from the corners as a catch-and-shoot guy. That's really big. But um, you, you do kind of eventually need to see him uh, make more. The teams need to play him to make those three-point shots instead of just seeding them to him. That's going to be a big like moment in his development. The other swing thing for Bruce is pull-up shooting. Like you, you never see him like take a like pull up eighteen footer, and when you do, it doesn't look pretty. It looks really ugly. So that and like in order to do, in order to be like a quality starting level point guard, he's probably going to need that type of shot. It's not going to be what he goes to, but he's going to need it, um, just as the threat of being a pull up shooter. Um, so if, if in year five, you can do a little bit more of those things, if he's a better catch and shoot player, if he's a better finisher around the rim, if he has like some semblance of a pull up jumper, then like, that'll be enough to make him a quality starter. Um, the other thing is like a a little floater. He busts out the floater every now and again, but like he's, he's got to develop that. And uh, and since he can get to the lane and the paint so easily, uh, uh, a weapon he can use when he doesn't get all the way to the rim but does get into the paint will be really big for him. All right. Shaz Malibu. Chaz, Shaz, Shay, Shay Malibu. Either way, he asked a really trolly question. What's up, Shay? Uh, is Reggie Jackson's new contract with the team going to be signed with the intent of starting him at point guard or being bundled with this year's first to pick up another veteran player? You slick mf'er. No, I don't think Reggie Jackson is coming back next year. I don't think they resigned him. Um, when I had James Edwards on the podcast, he like all but said that, uh, if I remember correctly. Between Bruce Brown Jr., between Jordan Bone, between Derrick Rose, between a bunch of the players at the top of this year's draft being some version of lead ball handler, I highly doubt Reggie Jackson is coming back to Detroit in any way, shape, or form, which is not what I would have said five years ago when he signed that deal. Let's just put it that way. All right, on Twitter from Detroit Fanboys at Detroit Fanboys, let's say we rise up in the lottery, somehow land the first overall pick in the upcoming draft. Who do you pick and why? This is a tough question. Uh, all of the guys are. Out of the guys who were in the conversation for the number one pick before the season started, Anthony Edwards is the only one still playing. Cole Anthony is hurt. LaMelo Ball is hurt. James Wiseman is out. James Wiseman is out. Um, of those four, I like Edwards seems fine. Um, athlete can get to a shot. Had three-level score. Um, 
defends when he wants to. Um, like he he'd be fine. It'd be interesting to have a lot of athletes. It'd be interesting to have him and Bruce and Seku like on the floor at the same time. That'd be the most athleticism the Pistons have had like in quite some time. Um, but the guy in the draft I remain stuck on is is Killian Hayes, the six five point guard out of France. Um, he's a lefty. He's supremely left-handed, which you, you see in his film. Um, he takes a lot of DHOs going left. He, he passes left a lot. He uh, he has a nice like right-to-left crossover that he uses to get to his floater. Um, you you see him like make a couple dribbles with his right hand, but he, he does everything left-handed. He's very reminiscent of Brandon Jennings uh, in that way. But he is already a very good pick-and-roll passer. He has improved as a shooter this year in France. And more importantly, he's, I think he's 19 right now. So he's on the same timeline as Seku. You get the sense that uh, those guys could form a very interesting, very dynamic duo of, uh, of the French Revolution for years to come for the Pistons. So that's the guy I am most interested in uh, at the top of the draft. But I do not think the Pistons would take him number one overall. That could change though. I've seen him rising up draft boards, especially as, you know, as we mentioned, a lot of the other guys who we thought would be higher have fallen. Thanks for the question. Uh, Detroit fanboys. Next question is from at who jive on Twitter. Do you think Rose's increase in minutes is to showcase that he's healthy enough to be not be on a minutes restriction for trade purposes? Who jive. I'm going to answer this question really simply. I don't think Rose's increase in minutes is reflective of anything other than Dwayne Casey's desire to win basketball games. That's it. Detroit Wiso on Twitter, uh, Detroit at Detroit underscore Wiso. If we draft a point guard in the 2020 draft, we don't get Fred Van Fleet in free agency and the front office keeps Rose as reports suggest who starts at point guard Forrest, Derek Rose, our point guard of the future, the guy you just drafted, or Bruce Brown slash Jordan Bone slash Reggie Jackson? This is a good question because it does kind of look like this is going to be the situation coming into next season. And so in this scenario, I would probably say Bruce, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I do think we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Somebody asked about this, but I do think they will begin the year next year trying to make the playoffs, which rules out, in my mind, a rookie starting point guard. Um, I still do think they'll believe in Rose's minutes restrictions, uh, especially if he gets hurt this year, which increases in possibility every time Casey plays him 30 minutes. And uh, so that means like Bruce is probably the best option that's going to be left. Um, the rookie point guard and Jordan Bone are probably fighting for the third point guard spot um, or slash like play alongside Derrick Rose in bench lineups. And one of those guys will be in that role and the other guy will be sent to Grand Rapids. Um, so the year three for Bruce as uh, a player on the Pistons, year two for him as a, as a point guard. Um, if you agree with me that Bruce is going to be a quality starter uh, eventually, like next year when he starts at point guard will probably be the, the switch being flipped and we'll, and we'll see that uh, truly for the first time from an offensive standpoint, not from a defensive standpoint, from an offensive standpoint. Have you ever seen an untucked button down shirt? It looks bad. Why? Why does it look bad? Because it wasn't designed to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's untuck it. 
the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or your shape, untucked shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 plus fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. New Year's resolutions kinda happened uh, January 1st. It is now later than that. You know, I don't know how well you guys have been keeping up with your resolution to exercise more. I've been really bad about that. So like the untucked shirts, covering the little pouch that I gained and haven't quite lost yet. It's really nice. I'm, I'm very, very pleased. Big fan. With Untuck It, your shirts never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big. Again, like helping me out in the uh, waste department, thankfully. And their website is really easy to use. They even have a full page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Okay, and we're back. Let's get to our question from at SG underscore Mishstate, Silesh. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Thank you for the question, Silesh. If Andre gets extraded, gets traded for an expiring contract and a pick, or if he's not traded and he opts out, who would you spend the cap space on? Don't teams have to spend like 90% of their cap space in the summer or something? Thanks for the question, Silesh. Um, teams do have to spend 90% of their cap space to hit the salary floor, but like that's not really an issue. If you don't hit that 90% uh, floor, you distribute the rest of the remaining money out to your like the players on your roster. Um, you can always find a vet a veteran to, to come in and play for you to that will take you to that floor. So like I am not worried about the Pistons not hitting the salary floor, right? If you think about the team that the Pistons are going to be putting together next year, um, it's going to be a Blake Griffin centric team. So you're going to need someone who can play next to Bruce, Luke, Seku, and Blake. So to me, that says um, you need a starting level center, but not necessarily a good one um, or not necessarily one that's going to like take up a ma- the max cap space that like Andre Drummond was. Right. So you need a starting level center. Um, you probably need a backup shooting guard to replace uh, Langston Galloway. Um, you need some. Well, Tony Snell will still be here because he's going to pick up the player option, so you don't need necessarily him. You've got Christian Wood in the backcourt. You need a backup center. Uh, you need So you need two centers, one to start and one to back up. Uh, Maker probably won't be on the roster next season, so maybe you pick up uh, one starting-level vet center and one like development center. Maybe that's Donta Hall in the G League. I know that's something lots of people have been interested in. Um you don't need any more point guards. We've talked a bunch about point guards. I do think they draft a point guard. So um, if they don't trade Rose, Rose will be the veteran point guard and you'll have the rookie and Bruce and Jordan bone. And you have that log jam to, to figure out. Um, yeah, probably more wings. Just take some, take some flyers on some wings. Um, so big men and wings. You already have enough point guards that that's what you need to spend the cap space on. Thanks for the question. All right. KCP for three. Uh, Detroit Bad Boys is on. 
what would a team of Shea Gilligis Alexander, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Marcus Morris, Tobias Harris, and Andre Drummond accomplish in the Eastern Conference this year? I know we wouldn't have necessarily been able to draft Shea, say Shea Gilligis and Alexander, but what if Stan Van Gundy stayed the course? Thanks for the question, KCP for three. This is a really interesting question. Um, if everyone stays healthy, that team looks like a sixth seed to me. It would be interesting to see, um, like if if they did get, let's just say they got Shea, just for simplicity's sake. Um, it would it be interesting to see who they would have taken in the Luke Kennard year, um, like if they if they had KCP long term, you know, and they had Shea as their developmental point guard. I don't think they take like a Donovan Mitchell or anything. Um, maybe they take, maybe they take Bam. That would be interesting. Uh, maybe they take. Uh, maybe they still take Donovan Mitchell, just as like another a backcourt of the future type thing, and they look to move KCP. Um, but yeah, I think I don't think that team was going anywhere fast either, which is the tricky part, right? Like Marcus Morris is playing really well this season, but like he's a looter and a riot for a bad Knicks team. Like Tobias Harris is playing pretty well for the Sixers this year, but his role was always best as like, he's in his best role right now. It's he's best as like a tertiary guy who can score in a variety of ways, can make open shots, um, but who can't carry an offense and shouldn't be like relied upon to carry an offense. And I think even with the progression we've seen from Shea this year, like if Tobias was still on the team, it'd be like the Tobias and Dre show. And like, I don't know how far that gets you. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really, that was always the thing with like trading Drummond for me as well. Like I think about the, the infamous Drummond trade that uh, Tom Gore shot down where they would have gotten like 10 and 15 from Sacramento and, uh, and something else. I think it was, I think it might've been like Willie Cauley Stein and it was like, you know, like Reggie Jackson, uh, KCP, Stanley Johnson, Tobias Harris, and like Willie Cauley Stein, like weren't leading you anywhere either. And like the, the 10 and 15 was like Zach Collins and somebody else. And so it was like, were, were those guys like really getting you to a good place? Like, I don't, I don't think so either. And so you can say this team has been stuck for a long time, but, um, it's, it's really tough to imagine how they would have gotten themselves unstuck without a full rebuild, which is why I think you saw a lot of people clamoring for said full rebuild. Um, from Twitter, from Ryan Laprade. What's up, Ryan? What is your ideal trade deadline look like? That is a good question. Thank you for the uh, question, Ryan. Um, the ideal trade deadline is you, you trade Drummond um, probably to Atlanta for the package of Chandler Parsons that 2020 Brooklyn first round pick and like one more small asset maybe Bruno Fernando or something like that that's your developmental young big guy um you trade Derrick Rose for a late non-lottery first round pick so you trade Derrick Rose for like a another first round pick in the 20s um and you trade Langston Galloway for either some second round picks this year or some future second round picks um you then like with I don't I don't think you bring back um, you don't like you definitely don't bring back another player in like the Langston Galloway trade, so you use that roster spot to call up Donta Hall to play center for you after you traded Andre Drummond, and then 
you uh, and then with no Derrick Rose, you have fully turned over the keys to Bruce Brown and Jordan Bonas as your as your point guards for the rest of the season. Um, that that seems ideal to me. You get two first round picks in the top, excuse me, in the top twenty uh, in this year's draft. I know this. I know this year's draft isn't great, but still, two top twenty picks is two top twenty picks. You'll take it. Um, there, you've removed the Derrick Rose element, so you can fully see like what Bruce Brown and Jordan Bone have uh, before the end of the season. So you know that like if you do draft a Killian Hayes, you have a better idea of like where you stand with with Bruce Brown and Jordan Bone as your point guards. It's like is is Bruce Brown a point guard, or like are you playing him next to a guy like Killian Hayes, or like is Jordan Bone a backup? slash starting level NBA point guard or does he look like he could be that eventually and you don't have to take a point guard with that with that first pick so it's like just those those elements open up a lot of clarity and you know trading for the Chandler Parsons contract like still allows you to open up a lot of cap space and uh, get and so you can still like sign the center and like hit the salary floor like we talked about earlier thanks for the question Ryan at Gad Clark, Gary Clark on Twitter. Uh, if Drummond is not traded and opts into next year, does his trade value go up this summer? Thanks for the question, Gary. This is this is uh, a <laughs> this is the question we're all kind of asking ourselves, right? Because the Drummond trade rumors, uh, the the winds have kind of gone quiet on whether or not Andre is going to get traded. Um, it sounded the reports earlier from all the beat guys were that the Pistons were like really confident that they would be able to get him out of town before the deadline. But then we got the reports of like what teams were offering for Andre Drummond and the returns were really low. And so you, you understand why it's a possibility that Andre might not get traded at the, before the deadline, which would be disappointing. Don't get me wrong. Um, if he opted in, I do think that raises his trade value because Right now, teams are treating him like a rental, like a pure expiring contract, because he has said he will opt out of his contract at the end of the year. Um, if he opted in, you could trade him during the summer, and teams would be confident that they would get like a full 82 games out of Andre Drummond. Um, and, you know, 82 games of Andre Drummond is worth more than 30 games of Andre Drummond, like give or take. Um, you would still, the teams, I think, would still be worried about having to pay Andre. Um, and it does seem like the main motivating factor for Dre in this conversation is is money. Whoever is going to give him the max contract he appears to really be after will have the best chance of getting him. And so, uh, and if if he finds you know on the market that he's not going to get that max contract, and and so he opts into the year, I, would, I think it'd be like twenty eight. Almost twenty-nine million dollars, which be more than uh, any, t- which could be more than any team would offer him. Um, so yeah, I think that would I think that would raise his uh, his trade value from from where it is right now. Like you know, I am recording this before the Boston game. Uh, he could go out and put up a twenty-twenty tonight, and go out and put up like more. He could play with more energy and more uh, passion that he's shown since the trade rumor started to raise his trade value. Absolutely, and then I think you get a little bit closer. We've seen that's been difficult for him throughout his Pistons career. Andre's been moody and you know prone to bouts of, uh, of funks. He's gotten better about that, absolutely, but like it's it's never like fully gone away. But uh, but yeah, I think that um, I don't think his trade value is like in a pit right now. But I do think that um, convincing teams that you would get 
82 games of Andre Drummond is better than convincing teams that they would get 30 games of Andre Drummond. Let's just put it that way. All right, back to KCP 4-3. What is Luke's value across the league? What could we realistically get for him? Um, Luke is... So I've always maintained that my... Uh, Luke's ultimate destiny to me is a bench player who a guy who comes off the bench and scores a lot of points in a variety of ways and impacts the game in that way Um, that has value around the league especially as young as Luke is Um, but he only has he has this season and then another season before he's a restricted free agent Um, as a wing who can shoot and play make he will get paid and so it's an open question about like what his next contract is going to look like to me. And so I do think that um, it might be in the Pistons' best interest to kind of gauge the Luke Kennard trade value. Um, he would be really valuable to a team in a situation that uh, desperately needed shooting. You think of like your your Philadelphias; they could really use him. Um, he would be really good in a situation where um, his uh, his defi- his defensive deficiencies could be covered for. So you think about a team like a, like a Utah or again, like a Philadelphia or even like a, like a Milwaukee, good defensive teams um, anchored by like good centers um, who could cover up for the rest for his, like allowing a lot of dribble penetration. That would be good situations for him. Um, just like in a vacuum, I think you could get a, I think you get a lottery pick for Luke, like a, like a top five protected lottery pick for Luke. Um, that like, that's what he is. He, he was in the 12th pick. Like he is a lottery pick. I, I think you could still recoup that in value. Um, but like in terms of like, a, a, an actual player, it's, it's tougher, right? Um, you know, I, there was the Malik Beasley trade that, uh, Marlo alter of the, of the free press. I, I hope I got his, uh, outlet, right. Sorry, Marlo, um, came up with and, uh, Malik Beasley is a guy I've been a big fan of who would be a restricted free agent uh, before Luke. So like, that's a negative point in in Malik's favor, but who has uh, produced when called upon for the Denver Nuggets and is much better defensively than I think Luke uh, has the potential to be. And so um, you wonder like what kind of contract Malik would get and how he would fit in the, in the Pistons uniform. But like Luke Kennard is probably a, Lucanar is better offensively than uh, Malik is de- defensively, and so like those players are not equivalent value. If you traded Lucanard for Malik Beasley, you would be giving up the worst player, or you would be getting the worst player in in Beasley. So, yeah, it's it's tricky. But I do. So <laughs> the answer to your question is I don't really have an answer to Luke's exact value. But I do think we need to have a discussion about what Luke Kennard's value is sooner rather than later. All right, from the Beastman 17 on Detroit Bad Boys. How scared slash confident are you that this front office is going to try and compete for next year? And do you think that is the right move? I absolutely believe that this team is going to try and compete for a playoff spot next year. But... Um, whether or not that's the right move depends entirely on what they do in the off season, right? If that means that they, uh, if it means that they go out and sign, 
if they retain Andre on like another like $25 million a year contract and use the Reggie and Langston expiring contracts to like pick up another like wing sized uh, wing player um, and like try and push for the, the playoffs that way. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a great idea. If they do the rumored thing where they offer Fred Van Fleet, the kind of point guard of the future money and offer him like his max contract, I don't think that is great for the future. But uh, if they, so it's really more about messaging than, than anything else. If they say they're going to compete for the playoffs next season, but don't sign any major free agents and just say like, hey, like we got Blake Griffin and Christian Wood and a bunch of kids, including Luke and Bruce Brown and Sekou Dumbuya and whoever they draft on number one overall and whatever they got in the Andre trade. It's like, and we're still going to try and make the playoffs because the bottom of the East is really weak and if Blake plays 82 games if sorry Blake's not gonna play 82 games if Blake plays 65 question mark Blake plays 65 games like we we think we got a shot like there's no reason not to try for the playoffs in that situation as long as you are not um spending your cap space and roster spots like a team who thinks that they're ready to win a, a first round playoff series um, you can say anything you want. It's it's what you do that, that counts. And by what this Pistons front office has done so far, they appear to be ready for a rebuild. I keep coming back to the short-term deals. They hand it to Derrick Rose and Markeith Morris um, to chase the playoffs like this season and like this season alone. Um you go back to the Reggie Bullock for Svee Mikhailuk in a second-round pick trade. Um, you go back to the selection of Sekou Dumbuya, who, like, who we like a lot, but like was not going to help you push for the playoffs this year, and it was foolish to think he would do that. So yeah, like I think I think that uh, I think it's I think this team might say they are pushing for the playoffs, but. It, it'll be more indicative uh, that they are trying to push for the playoffs if they do something like try and sign Fred Van Fleet in, in free agency. From at Dojumars, at Dojumars on Twitter. Solid Twitter handle, my guy. Uh, what is the starting lineup for game 65 for the Pistons this year? Dre, Morris, Snell, Rose, and Reggie. And uh, makes a little puke emoji. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the question, Doju Mars. Love, love that Twitter name. Um, no, I mean, I think I still think Andre gets traded at the uh, deadline, and uh, and so I think the starting lineup would be something like uh, like Wood, Seku, Snell, Svi, Bruce, Luke, Bruce. Luke will probably be back by game sixty-five, hopefully. So like, yeah, there you go. Um, Wood, Seku, Snell. Luke Bruce like that is that's much less puke and mouthy I think um Reggie Jackson I think when Reggie Jackson returns he I don't think he should start I think um they should use him off the bench as a way to keep Derek Rose's minutes low but also as a way to have multiple ball handlers on the floor at the same time so Derek Rose doesn't have to do everything Either that or Derrick Rose is traded, and we don't even have to worry about that. Like that's a whole other situation. So yeah, that's that's the that's the starting lineup I hope for for Game sixty five. Thanks for the question. Uh, and then our our final question comes to us from uh, 
good friend of the podcast, DBB super user cross-eyed. Is this just the universe slash karma evening out after winning three titles in 15 years? Or is this more of a punishment for something? <laughs> Thanks for the question, Cross. You, you get me into like a, we're going to end this podcast on like a metaphysical note. Um, I'm not a big like karma slash destiny slash predetermination type of person. Um, my worldview is firmly that like people go out and do the thing that they believe will get them the best results on a day-to-day basis. And like, that is what, that is what motivates people. Everybody is just trying to survive and perpetuate. And so when you look at like a grander scheme of like karma or like the universe hating you, like that is not, I don't think that's necessarily the thing. I think it's more like, this is the this is the for the pistons this is a logical conclusion of the decisions that they have made over the course of the last 6 8 10 12 years right like we always sort of knew that this team was not going to compete for a championship i am on record as saying like it is fine that you don't compete for a championship Uh, like championships are like a big motivating factor but like they should not be the the sole made motivating factor in in when in uh in driving a team um and so like we but we knew that this team wasn't going to win a championship and so we knew that this team would need to be rebuilt eventually and so it it took a while but we have hit a point in which it makes no the only logical conclusion you can reach is that this team needs to try something different. Um, you know, if things were different and Blake was healthy and this team was the sixth seed right now, like I thought they would be, you could like, you wouldn't ask that question and we wouldn't like have, we wouldn't be having this discussion. We would be having a different discussion, but like that is not the universe hating me, right? Like, uh, that is not the universe hating the Detroit Pistons, right? Like that is, that is life that, that happens. Um, I don't think it's like a karmic imbalance or anything. Um, I do think it's interesting that like we, we get into these discussions of like, of balance, right? Like I, I'm, I'm a Libra. My sign is the scales. So like I've, I'm very much like interested in balance and uh it's it's interesting to me that you would question like the the Detroit Pistons winning three championships in in 15 years as something that needed to be balanced out as if uh it's like this as if the scales have not always been tipped uh in in uh like not in favor of the Detroit Pistons like the the last time the Detroit Pistons won an NBA championship the NBA literally changed the rules in order to uh not not in order to like defeat the Pistons individually, but to uh, to promote a different style of play, one that was less conducive to what the Pistons were doing. Um, like, is that karma? Like, no, that was a decision made by the league offices to promote a different style of play. Um, 
So like, no, like this isn't, this isn't the, this is not the universe going out to get you, right? Like the, the lions are bad right now, right? The lions have been bad for like literally my adult life. I am 29 years old and the lions have been bad 26 out of my 20 near 29 years of existence. Like, is, is that a karmic imbalance? Like, no, a karmic imbalance would demand that the lions would be good some of those years, but, but they haven't been because they are run terribly, right? Like this is, that is, that is cause and effect, right? That is not necessarily like a karmic imbalance that is cause and effect. So like, maybe if you think of cause and effect as like, uh, as a proportion thing, if you think of cause and effect as like something that endures so that the scales must always be balanced, then like, sure. But like the, the scales are, the scales are not balanced. The scales have, have never been balanced in favor of the Detroit Pistons. And so like, no, the, the fact that they are at a low point, uh, in, in their franchise's history is not, um, the universe, like smoting you with its universe fist. I, I hope that made sense. We got a little metaphysical at the end there, but I'm going to listen to that. And if, uh, if it doesn't make sense, <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to write something out that sounds a little bit better. Anyway, that was all of the questions. Thank you guys so much for all of the questions. I really do appreciate it. Um, thanks to our sponsor this week, Untuck It. Uh, thanks to Blue Wire for giving me this platform. Uh, this has been the Pistons vs. Everybody podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>